Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Our speaker this morning, Brother Mike Pitts, who hails from up in the north, the Michigan area. And Mike, how many years have you been actually coming down to Central Florida in the winter? Oh, just uh, two or three. Two or three. Yeah. Just, and only like one smooth one so far without some incident, yeah, right? So right. it's been it's been uh, not without its uh, struggles, but Mike's a full-time worker and up there and, and serves the Lord as he leads. And we're happy that he's going to be with us, him and Nona, for a, a time. And we're happy to have him ministering God's word to us this morning. Brother Mike. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. It's a joy and a privilege to be here on Sunday morning, live and in person, as you said. And uh, also to be with the Zoom folks. I don't know how many, Andy, any idea how many are on there with Zoom today? Three, four or five. Okay, good, good. All right, good to be with you all. Um, and I appreciate not only the opportunity to come and speak from God's word, uh, but also this extra 15 minutes to get my little introduction in. So preachers always appreciate the extra time. Um, I need to ask my wife for a different pair of glasses. Can you give me one moment? Sorry. Well, oil machine. <laughs> Don't want to preach any heresy with the wrong glasses. Okay, uh, if you would take your Bibles, please, we're going to be looking at uh, a passage in 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 12. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 12. Lord willing, we will study this passage today, and then two weeks from today, which I think is on February 7th, something like that. But we want to read the passage, and then we'll pray real quick, and uh, just introduce what we're going to talk about today. 2 Timothy 1, 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it's in you, it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed 
a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless the teaching of your word today to our hearts, to our lives, and have your will in each heart and life here today. Thank you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Well, as we study this passage today, it reminds us of something that I think is fairly obvious, uh, and that is that like Paul and Timothy, we live in a fearful and troubled world. We'd all agree with that, I think, right? It's hard to deny that at all. And people fear many things in our world today. Here's just a few of the main things that I thought of, uh, four or five of them. Disease and sickness. Disease and sickness, two of which begin with the letter C. COVID and cancer. They fear those things. And ultimately, people fear the death that can result. People fear political upheaval and unrest, especially recently with all the riots and, and the protests. Uh, the possibility, they fear the possibility of financial collapse, economic insecurity, uh, and ruin. And they fear persecution and suffering for being a Christian, at least some do. Some fear persecution and suffering for being a Christian. They often fear what people will think of them, right? What people will uh, either think of them or maybe do to them or the way they will treat them. Uh, in fact, as you'll see, this is really the main focus of this passage here uh, this morning in 2 Timothy 1. Uh, it's all about not being ashamed of Christ and the gospel. Not being ashamed of Christ and the gospel uh, and of those who follow him. So I'm titling the message, as you can see on your outline there, Living Courageously, Confidently, and Unashamedly for Christ in a Fearful and Troubled World. I think that's the theme of, of the passage. Uh, but before we go any further, let's look at a bit of the background. We want to get some context for the passage just to set it up a little bit. Second Timothy is the second of two inspired letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Timothy was Paul's son in the faith, as he calls him. That is one whom Paul discipled, had led to the Lord, he had discipled him, he had mentored him, and he did that having known Timothy's mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, and most likely he prob Paul probably led those ladies to the Lord, and then they raised Timothy up in the things of the Lord. Um, Paul had been imprisoned by Rome for his faith at least twice, at least twice, and he had been released from his first imprison imprisonment for a short time, and during that time he had a period of ministry during which he wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. However, as Paul wrote 2 Timothy, he was enduring a second imprisonment from which he was never uh, released. Um, he had probably been arrested as part of Emperor Nero's uh, persecution of the church. And one commentator uh, explains it this way, and I just, this was said so well, I thought I'd share it with you. Uh, explains Paul's situation, saying, unlike Paul's confident hope of release during his first imprisonment, this time he had no such hopes. 
In his first imprisonment in Rome before Nero had begun the persecution of Christians about AD 64, uh, he was only under house arrest and had opportunity for much interaction with people and ministry. At this time, five or six years later, however, he was in a cold cell in chains and with no hope of deliverance, abandoned by virtually all of those close to him for fear of persecution. Timothy, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, uh, for fear of persecution and facing imminent execution. We know that Paul said that, right? He said, I know my time is, is about up. And uh, it was about time for him to go home to heaven. Um, Paul wrote to Timothy, urging him to hasten to Rome for one last visit with the apostle. Whether Timothy made it to Rome before Paul's execution is not known. According to tradition, Paul was not released from his second Roman imprisonment, but suffered the martyrdom he had foreseen, as he mentions in uh, chapter 4, verse 6. In this letter, Paul was aware and was, excuse me, in this letter, Paul, aware the end was near, passed the non-apostolic mantle of ministry to Timothy and exhorted him to continue faithful in his duties, hold on to sound doctrine, avoid error, accept persecution for the gospel, put his confidence in the scripture, and preach it relentlessly. End of quote. Paul and Timothy were very close, like father and son. They shared the common uh, bond, a common bond in Christ, in that they were both believers. They shared the common experiences of uh, ministry and fighting the good fight in ministry. And in terms of giftedness, Timothy was multi-gifted. We know that he was an evangelist, he was a teacher, he was a preacher, he was an instructor in the Word of God, and although he never is called a shepherd in the Bible that I know of, or a pastor or an elder, he certainly engaged in pastoral work, in shepherding uh, of God's, the shepherding of God's people. And this is evident in both epistles as Paul instructs Timothy in dealing with the flock at Ephesus the church at Ephesus, and teaching him and instructing him in those epistles as to how things were to work in the local church and how leaders were to uh, be chosen or all those kinds of things. Pastoral work, in other words. So this is evident in both epistles as Paul instructs Timothy. And this is why we call First and Second Timothy the what? Pastoral epistles, that's right. The pastoral epistles. Um, their instructions to Timothy and other pastors and shepherds in how to shepherd the flock and engage in local church work. And people had been involved, uh, Timothy had been involved in evangelism and church planting. He had also been an ardent defender of the faith, battling it out with false teachers, battling it out with uh, those who were uh, engaged in false teaching, uh, he was against seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, 1 Timothy 4.1 says. In other words, Timothy had been on the front lines as, and he had suffered as a soldier of Jesus Christ. 
He endured hardship. Suffering hardship is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul or Timothy knew what spiritual warfare was all about. Uh, however, as often happens with faithful warriors of the Lord Jesus, after a while you get worn down, right? You can get worn down. You can get worn out in ministry and warfare. After all, you're facing constant satanic resistance and attacks, spiritual warfare, criticism, persecution, uh, discouragement, physical, mental, and spiritual fatigue, all of those things. And Timothy uh, was human like anybody else, and it wore him down. As a weak and flawed human being, after a while, you can get discouraged and even depressed, even to the point where you want to get up, give up, excuse me, where you want to give up when you should be getting up. I get, I've been in that situation. I'm sure all of you in one way or another have too. Um, but this seems to be where Timothy was at when Paul wrote to him. Timothy had hit a wall, as it were. He had hit a wall. He had had it in the fire in his soul at this time when Paul's writing to him. The fire in his soul was not a roaring blaze. It was just a flickering little ember. The fire was still there, but not burning too brightly and not burning too, too hotly in that sense. Not too hot. Um, it was barely alive with just a little bit of heat and light. And Timothy lived... I think had Timothy lived in our day, had he been ministering in our day, you know, especially in a full time sense, he may have uh, he may have said to himself, "Hey, maybe I can make a living doing something else. Maybe I can uh, uh, sell stuff door to door, you know, sell vacuum cleaners or insurance or fuller brushes or whatever it might be, windows or something." You know, um, he could have been in that situation. Not that there's anything wrong with selling anything like that, okay? But he was discouraged. We know that. That's the point. Um, and that's, uh, he could have said that unless, unless he stopped to think that God had specifically called and gifted him to do a particular ministry, which is exactly what God had done, right? Exactly what God had done. Uh, the point is that, when Paul wrote to Timothy, Timothy was not living courageously, confidently, and unashamedly. He was wavering. He was struggling. And so that's what this, this letter in many ways is about, especially this passage. He needed some loving encouragement and firm admonition, which is exactly what Paul gave to him. So the big question is, and I'll just give this to you, and then we'll, we'll save the rest for later. The big question is, how does one do that? How does one live confidently, courageously, and unashamed, unashamedly in this fearful and troubled world? How do you do that? Paul makes it clear that believers do that by understanding and making use of the divine resources and gifts that have been given to them in their salvation. Just what are some of those resources and gifts that I'm talking about? Here's just a very brief list. Uh, Paul either mentions these directly or alludes to them indirectly in verses 5 through 12. The gift of faith. The gift of faith. The gift 
the special spiritual gift of God, which is in you, a unique spiritual gift, the gift or resource of the Holy Spirit within you, the gift of salvation and the truth of your calling. And uh, I skipped one, the gift or resource of suffering. And we'll talk about that. Did you know suffering is a gift? We'll talk about that as we go along. Uh, so again, uh, when he as, when we as believers understand we make use of those divine resources that have been given to us, then we can live victoriously in this fearful and troublesome world. So as we consider this passage, we'll talk about all of those. And this is the, the main point that I'm going to leave with you for right now. Because of all of those divine resources and gifts, because they all belong to you in Christ and in your salvation, there are eight action steps that you and I can and should take in order to live courageously, confidently, and unashamedly in this fearful and troubled world. Eight action steps. And that's what we're going to be looking at when we resume. Okay? All right. Thank you. All right, we want to get back to our study here in Second uh, Timothy 1 and um, get back to this big question. Let me get to where I'm supposed to be. I thought I was. And we will begin. There we go. Okay, we pointed out in our little introduction that Timothy was discouraged. He was down. The, the, the spiritual gift, the fire in his soul had kind of cooled down, and uh, he needed some encouragement. Paul encourages him in 2 Timothy by talking about certain uh, gifts and resources that he reminds Timothy, these belong to you in Christ. These are yours in Christ. And these are meant to encourage him. And uh, I had mentioned the fact that he was not living courageously, confidently, and unashamedly. So the big question is, how do you do that? Well, you do that by remembering and putting to use these gifts that we have been given. Uh, and we've got eight action steps we want to look at that all point to that. And uh, just get right into it here. Number one is this. He told him to rekindle his gift. Rekindle your gift, Paul said. Uh, very important, 2 Timothy 1.6. Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh or stir up uh, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, uh, through the conduit of an official apostle. An official apostle. The Holy Spirit had imparted a unique gift to Timothy for specific service. He talks about the laying out of my hands. It tells us that this gifting was conferred on Timothy in an official sort of way, identified with an apostle, a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, a recognized apostle. And all of that reminds Timothy of the delegated authority he had received uh, from Christ to serve in his church. 
that's meant to encourage Timothy, to spur him on, to remind him of that. Uh, Paul uses similar language in 1 Timothy 4.14 when he says to Timothy, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. That means a group of elders, of recognized elders. And here certain prophecies or predictions had been made about Timothy's future service uh, and how he was being gifted for specific specific service in the future and, and how important that was. This spiritual gift uh, gave Timothy special abilities in the areas, as, as I said before, in the areas of teaching and evangelism uh, and shepherding in all those areas. And I, as I've said, after a time of serving on the front lines, he became fearful, Timothy did. That's indicated by the fact that Paul says, you don't need to be fearful. You haven't been given a spirit of fear. He had evidently become fearful and, and discouraged. And it was his gift and service were starting to cool or had already. So now Paul is saying, stir up the gift, Timothy, fan the flame, get the fire burning again. It's so important that that be true of us, isn't it? Uh, rekindle your gift for you have the authority of Jesus Christ to serve and minister. The gift has been given to you. It was the laying on of hands by the elders of, of the church. And it was the laying on of hands by an official apostle. Um, you know, in you have the backing of an official apostle of the elders they all agree that Christ has called you to a special ministry and that he has gifted you to a special ministry. And I'm sure we've all seen a campfire, right? Blazing hot with flames, just jumping and, and moving with lots of action. But over time, if left unattended, the fire dies out. We've all been at camp and we know that, how that works. The fire dies out. Um, and there's just little glowing embers left lying there. How do you rekindle that campfire? Well, you take a poker sometimes and you stir it and they add some fuel and you get the fire going. Or if it's really almost dead, you get down on your hands and knees and you do what? You blow on it. That's right. And get those embers turning red again and they add some more fuel and you get the fire uh, rekindled, if you will, and revived. Uh, and just as, with, just as with a fire that has cooled, what is needed in Timothy's life here and often in our lives, what is needed with a fire that's cooled is action, oxygen, and fuel. Action, oxygen, and fuel. And Timothy, like many, had let the fire of his gift and service cool down through what? Disuse. When you let it cool down, you just kind of quit doing it. You know, you just back off and you don't serve as much. And uh, if you don't, the idea is if you don't use it, you lose it in terms of effective service. And sadly, I think there are many Christians today in that boat, in that situation where they're very gifted, but you would never know it because they've discontinued using their gifts. They've gotten discouraged. Maybe they've gotten hurt. Their feelings hurt in some way by some criticism or whatever the reason. And they've just discontinued using their gifts. You know, being from Michigan and a cold country, you're right. Um, uh, what's the best way to warm up when you're outside? Get moving, right? Get moving. Action. 
Split some firewood, cut some firewood, rake the leaves on a cold fall day. Drive to Florida. There you go. Drive to Florida. That's right. Oh, man. Yeah, you'll heat up eventually when, once you get down here. That's true. Um, but yeah, that's what you do. You keep moving. And the action of the keeps the body warm. And in the same way, the action and the activity of spiritual service in exercising our gifts keeps the flame alive. That's how you rekindle it. You just get involved again, you know, and you, you obviously you need to take care of the reasons why you didn't, why you quit or why you, you slowed down or whatever. You know, if somebody hurt your feelings, deal with that. Uh, if you've got somebody you've got to forgive, deal with that. There, there's all kinds of things you can do. But the point is get to serving again in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first action step is rekindle or stir up your gift if need be by actively serving and exercising that gift. Uh, a second action step is to recognize your resources. Recognize your resources. And this is what I alluded to earlier when I talked about our gifts and resources and benefits that we have in salvation. In verse 7, Paul says to Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear or cowardice, but of power and love and discipline. Now, it's true. We live in a scary world. We really do live in a scary world, and I would say a dangerous world. However, we must remember that God has given us all the resources we need to live successfully in this world and to overcome those things. He has given us all we need to live courageously, confidently, and unashamedly in this world for our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter makes it clear, 1 Peter 1.3, that by his divine power, he has granted to us, granted means to give. He has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Who called us? Well, it was Christ himself. God himself, he called us by his own glory and excellence. Now, what does a spirit refer to here? 2 Timothy 1.7, he has not given us a spirit of fear. What's the spirit all about? Some believe, some commentators will say it's an attitude. I don't think that's that in terms of the context here. Uh, others say it's the Holy Spirit, and I would understand it to mean that very thing. He has not given us a spirit a fear, or he's not given us a spirit of fear, um, but he has given us a spirit, if I can paraphrase it this way, that produces power, love, and discipline. The Holy Spirit is the source of that. That's the spirit that every believer has, uh, the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit is given as a gift to every person who believes, right? Every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ receives the Spirit, Acts 2.38, Acts 10.45. Jesus said to his followers in Acts 1.8, but when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Luke 24, 49, uh, he told his disciples, Jesus did, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And, uh, you know, William McDonald comments on 2 Timothy 1, 7 by saying this, 
Quote, facing martyrdom himself, Paul takes time out to remind Timothy, to remind Timothy that God had not given us a a spirit of fear or cowardice. There is no time for fearfulness or timidity, but God has given us a spirit of power, unlimited strength at our disposal. Through the enabling of the Holy Spirit, the believer can serve valiantly, endure patiently, suffer triumphantly, and if need be, die gloriously. End of quote. This is referring to the Holy Spirit, because these things come by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the source of that power, love, and discipline, literally meaning a sound mind. It also refers, the sound mind, let's talk about that for a minute. It refers to disciplined or level-headed thinking. Disciplined or level-headed thinking. Uh, it refers to one who is mentally and emotionally healthy and self-disciplined. That is one who is in control of their thinking and emotions. Now, we can get ourselves into situations, all of us as human beings, where our thinking and our emotions are all messed up, you know, to one degree or another. But the Holy Spirit, when we're yielded to him, gives us the power to have disciplined thinking, where we're in control of how we're thinking and how we're feeling. That's the idea here. And this is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. So when we are engaged in spiritual service and spiritual warfare, we are in control of our thinking and emotions. That's part of that self-control of Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is, one of, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control of our thinking and emotions. It's part of that self-control belonging not only to the fruit of the Spirit, but belonging to the Spirit himself in terms of how he functions through us. And so as we serve the Lord and we fight the good fight, and especially as we are in the heat of the battle on the front lines, we don't have to freak out. We don't have to lose it, you know. Uh, as we fight the good fight, we're not upset when unexpected things happen. We're not and don't have to be discouraged to the point of despondency where in our thinking we conclude, you know, the best thing would be just to quit, just to give up. We don't have to do that because we have the Holy Spirit and he gives us power and love and sound thinking, right? A sound mind. It's so important. Uh, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice or fear, but that of sound and disciplined, a sound and disciplined mind. And it's the Holy Spirit who infuses, who imparts, I can say it this way, who infuses into our spirits that power and love and sound thinking as we yield to him, as we obey him. You know, think of it this way in terms of the contrast. Power would be the opposite of what? Of weakness, right? Uh, love is the opposite of bitterness and hatred in our thinking and in our hearts. And a sound mind is the opposite of an undisciplined mind or a mind that concludes, again, that just giving up would be the easiest and best thing to do, you know. And I, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been tempted in that area before in my service where you get so discouraged with whatever that you just say, 
I mean, I, I remember serving in a church one time where I was so discouraged. I went into town to the unemployment office and the, the place where they have the, all the job listings and said, what can I do as something different here? Because I'm sick and tired of this, you know. Uh, now that, that lasted for a couple hours and the Lord, you know, <laughs> uh, I snapped back into it. But uh, we can get into that situation. Um, so remember your resources, the Holy Spirit and what he empowers us to do. That's so important. Uh, you know, from other scriptures, we know that such a spirit controlled mind is a mind, just to mention this and remind you of this, is a mind that's, is a mind that's renewed by the word of God, right? A mind that's renewed by the word of God. You can jot down Romans 12, 1 and 2, Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 talks about that renewing of the mind. And so if you're tempted in your mind to throw in the towel, if you're tempted to do that when it comes to serving Christ and exercising your gifts, I encourage you to do this. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Stay in the word and let God encourage you that way and renew your mind. But we need to go to a third step, a third action step. Number three is rejoice in the gift of suffering and don't be ashamed. Rejoice in the gift of suffering, which Timothy evidently was involved in. He was suffering and don't be ashamed. Now, having mentioned the God-given, spirit-given resources of power, love, and discipline, or a disciplined mind, Paul says in verse 8, do not, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, referring to his ability to save souls from sin, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Now, that's a mentor, folks. The mentor, your discipler, says, join with me in suffering <laughs> for the gospel. That's, you know, that's amazing, an amazing statement. Rejoice in the gift of suffering. Did you know that suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift? And the Bible says it very clearly that it's a gift. Paul says, listen to this carefully, in Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, the key in that verse is the word granted. Granted. We all know what a grant is, such as an educational grant or a research grant. It's where you're paid, somebody gives you a gift of money to pay for your educational expenses or to pay for your research expenses, right? Uh, well, here the word for grant, karizamdia, karizamdia, refers to a gift, and it literally means to give graciously and generously. And Paul says that to you it has been granted, it's been given as a gift for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, that's talking about the gift of faith, but also to suffer for his sake. And that's a gift also. It's a grant. It's a grant from God. We may not look at it that way. You may never heard anybody say it that way before, but it says it right here. To you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, 
but also to suffer for his sake. And so we see that our saving faith or belief in Christ for salvation is a gift, as is our suffering for Christ. And of course, Timothy and Paul had experienced both as they served the Lord. They knew what saving faith was, and they didn't invent that themselves. This says it was granted to them from the Lord. And they knew what suffering was. In fact, Paul clearly says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Guaranteed. If you're a believer and you're trying to live a godly life in this ungodly world, you will be, to one degree or another, persecuted. And then <clears throat> our Lord says this, uh, the Lord Jesus of suffering for his sake in Matthew 5, 10 to 12, blessed or happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed, happy are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And how should we react when people do that to us or if people do that to us, insult us and persecute us because we're followers of Jesus? How should we react and respond? The Lord said, rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company, that of the prophets that have gone before. Rejoice. You're blessed because you're part of a godly company of followers of God and, and of Jesus Christ. Share a quick little story with you. In China, during the Boxer Rebellion uh, between 1899 and 1900, extreme nationalist Chinese carried out a campaign of terror against officials of foreign governments. They didn't want any foreigners in their country. And they went after them, including Christian missionaries and Chinese Christians. They didn't want foreigners. And they went after missionaries and Christians. In one instance, they had surrounded a certain mission station. And they sealed all the exits except for one. You could only get out one way. And they placed a cross in front of the opened gate, that one exit, and they told the missionaries and the students that anyone who walked out and trampled the cross would be spared. Anybody who walked out and trampled the cross would be spared. Well, according to reports, the first seven students who departed trampled the cross. They went safely on their way. But an eighth student, a young girl, approached the cross. She knelt down. She prayed for strength. And then she walked around it. And they shot her dead on the spot. That's suffering for your faith, isn't it? Suffering for your faith. The remaining 92 students, strengthened by that girl's resolve, her courage, and her example, they also walked around the cross, all 92 being shot and put to death. Certainly, Paul and Timothy had undergone suffering and persecution, and you will too. To one degree or another, when you seek to live a godly life in an ungodly world. 
when you seek to live a godly life and take a stand unashamed for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this persecution, it may be at your school. It may be on the job. It may be by neighbors or relatives or even friends sometimes, you know. It may be. It just depends on the situation. But Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed or embarrassed, in other words, of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And there's that reminder again. You've got the power of God in you, Timothy. You can do this because of that. Again, don't be embarrassed or ashamed uh, of that, of the gospel or of his people, Christ's people. Rejoice. And the point is, be motivated by it. Be motivated by it. Suffering and persecution, and th this is where God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Suffering and persecution um, is meant to motivate us. It's meant to encourage us, to remind us, you're, a, you're of a different stripe here in this world. You don't belong to this world. You belong to the kingdom of God. And that's just one of the ways you find out, right, when you get that flack and that resistance from the world. That leads us to number four, and I want to just give you that last one today. Number four, remember your calling. And this, I'm so excited about this one. I, I wish I could do the whole message on this. Remember your calling. Verse 9 says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now, again, the main point here is that remembering all uh, of all that God has done, excuse me, all that God has done in calling us and saving us and giving us those resources and gifts, remembering all of that, we can be encouraged and motivated to continue faithfully serving him. We, under, we, we need to understand what those gifts and resources are. We need to understand what that calling is. And once we do, then we can be encouraged to continue, motivated to continue serving him. Now, as revealed in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And he also, in that passage, tells us that he established a love relationship with us as he in love predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. And you see, remembering your holy calling to salvation, it gives us assurance that we are part of God's eternal purposes. And I think that's why Paul brings it up here to Timothy. You're part of God's eternal purposes and plans, which can encourage you greatly, can encourage us greatly. And it also enables us to understand that serving Christ with courage, confidence, and a lack of shame or embarrassment is possible. Because again, we're part of an eternal plan, not just something here that's temporary here on this earth. For after all, in understanding our holy calling, we realize that the eternal God, this is amazing, the eternal God of the universe he has specifically and personally called us 
drafted us and he planned it from way before we were ever born. He planned it before the foundation of the world in eternity past. You say, explain that, Mike. Explain Calvinism, Mike. Explain election and pre... No, I'm not getting into that. Because honestly, I, I, I can't explain all of that. I don't understand all of that. I just believe it's true. When it says he had a plan from before the foundation of the world, thank you, Lord, I believe that's true. When he said he had a specific purpose for Mike Fitzhugh in December of 1970, they was going to save him and redeem him. Thank you, Lord. I don't understand why or, or how it all works, but I believe it's true. And as Paul says here, it's all by his what? Undeserved, unearned grace, right? It's all by grace. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. I just talked to an unsafe friend two days ago. Oh, what a deal. Uh, certain members of her family are going to federal prison. We're getting into some trouble. She's going to be charged. And she, on the phone, she says, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Most people think of themselves that way. I'm a good person. And they think God should let me into heaven because I'm good enough. I haven't robbed any banks. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't raped anybody. I haven't done a terrible, heinous crime. God says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Even if you miss it by this much, you still come short, right? Yet Christ died for our sins. And God planned our salvation and the whole, plan, the whole plan of salvation before the foundation of the world. Unearned grace. Folks, that is both motivating and encouraging to keep that in mind. Remember your calling. I mean, why in the world? Think of it this way. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why in the world would I be embarrassed or ashamed as a follower of Christ, knowing that these things are true? Knowing that these things are true. Say, so, well, if they shoot you, Mike, well, they shoot me, I go straight to heaven and it's no problem. Right? Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called and just what has God called us to or called us to do or appointed us to? Well, Colossians 1, 10 and 11 says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power. There it is again, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness. That's us. We're to be steadfast steadfast, the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, that is that strengthening with power enables you to persevere even when times are tough. Amen? Even when times are tough. And regarding our holy calling, you know it well. Peter said in 
First Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's our calling as Christians. That's what's true of us. And so that should motivate us to keep on going, to keep on going. And Paul says in Romans 8, 14 to 17, that we are, I won't read the whole passage, but we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know what that means, folks? It means that we own all that Jesus Christ owns. How much does he own? Begins with the letter E. Everything, right? Amen. Everything. And we're co-owners of all of that. Hard to imagine. Unfathomable. Unbelievable. Inconceivable. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Revelation 1.6 also tells us that God, as far as our calling goes, he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, I guess so. <laughs> To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, the people of God, adopted sons of God with all of the accompanying rights and privileges, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, co-owners with Christ of all that he owns. And folks, that should motivate and encourage any believer to keep on serving to keep the fire burning, to keep using your gift when you realize your calling and you remember it. 1 Corinthians 3, I love this too, goes along with what we've been saying. Part of your calling. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. How many? All things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Therefore, we'll conclude. Therefore, since all of this is true in regard to our holy calling, why in the world would any believer, again, have a spirit of fear or cowardice, or feel ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or ashamed of any of his people. We don't need to have any of that. We don't need to be any of that. No, but instead, we as believers in Christ Jesus can live in this fearful and troubled world courageously, confidently, and unashamedly, even if it means suffering for him. No wonder Paul could say in Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile is the idea, right? So that leads us to a question for each one of you this morning. Each one here this morning, do you believe? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life? 
Do you believe and are you trusting in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, that it was buried in a tomb and three days later, God raised him from the dead to prove that it was all true. Do you believe that? He that believes has eternal life. Amen? He that believes that. He whose faith is in Jesus Christ. Have you been saved from your sins by faith in Jesus Christ? Back in 2 Timothy 1, 5, and 6. We kind of skipped over it, but take a look at it. 2 Timothy 1, 5, and 6. For I am mindful of the sincere faith. That literally means the real, genuine, unhypocritical, saving faith within you. I'm aware of that, Timothy, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, that is because such saving faith is in you, I remind you of this, to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul's point is that real, genuine, unhypocritical, saving faith is required. It's not only required for salvation. It's required if you're going to serve the Lord and exercise your gifts effectively. I pray that each one of you in this room would possess that saving faith. And if you never have before, you can call out in your own, the privacy of your own heart, you can call out to Jesus Christ, call upon the name of the Lord, as the Bible would say, and ask him to save you. Tell him you believe in his son and what he did on the cross for you, that he did rise from the dead the third day, that he is Lord of all, God of all, and you want him to be Lord and God in your life. You can do that right now. And uh, I'd like you to bow your heads and... I pray that you would, if that would be your desire. Let's all bow for prayer. Father, thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for making a way. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We thank you for him being the way, being the entrance into eternal life, being the way to heaven the way to forgiveness of sins. And I just pray that right now, if there's anyone that's never done it before, I pray that in their own way, in their own hearts, with their own words, in their own, in their own minds, that they would say that to you. God, I know that I'm sinful. I know that I cannot save myself. And I believe in your son, that he's the son of God, that he died on the cross to pay for my sins and was buried and rose again the third day. Oh, Lord, do a great work in hearts today. And we will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. May the Lord bless you.